Happy Lord's Day to you. Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, I am very thankful to be doing what I am doing this morning, and that is preaching or proclaiming the Word of God. Um, it is the gospel that is of first importance. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, I am assigned to preach, but more than that, I get to preach. So this is a great joy and a great honor for me to be giving you the Word of God, and particularly for you, um, because I love you. Uh, I love the people of God, and I'm very thankful that you are here today. Let me explain what's going to happen. Uh, this is a Bible. It is the Word of God. It is divided into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is what happened in history up till the birth of Christ. The New Testament is what happened at the birth of Christ and after the birth of Christ in the early church. The Bible is divided into 66 books. There are 39 of them in the Old Testament and 27 of them in the New Testament. Today, we're going to be studying one of the New Testament books, and that is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews has 13 chapters. We've been making our way through the book of Hebrews chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we've finished 12 of those chapters. We are now in chapter 13, so what we're going to be looking at today are two verses that are in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read those verses, and then for a very long time I'm going to explain them and apply them, and then after I'm finished doing that, I'm going to give you an exercise whereby you can actually interact with the text and hopefully take it with you when you leave here and do something with it. But for right now, we're going to start with reading. Turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 13. Once you have that text, I would ask, please, that you would stand and listen as I read verses 7 and 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that your son does not change. Lord, we are living in a world of change and we ourselves change constantly, but your son remains the same. And so, Lord, for that immutability, we give thanks. Help us now, please, to be able to understand it, to appreciate it, and as a result, bring due worship to Jesus Christ, who is so worthy. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The point of the Bible is Jesus. The point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything in Judaism and the point of Hebrews chapter 13 is that we are to be doers of the word and that we are not to just listen, but faith without works is dead. So we have to apply the word of God. My brother Paul graduated from Nyack College. Uh, Nyack College is in Nyack, New York. It is the school of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. The school is now defunct, but my brother went to that school back in the 1970s. On the grounds of that college, there is the body 
of the buried body of A.B. Simpson. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He was born in Canada. He moved to New York City. It was there that he founded, sometime in the 1980s, the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. That was the denomination in which I was raised and saved. And A.B. Simpson wrote over 120 hymns. Most of them are completely unsingable. Uh, one of them, however, I remember from my childhood was particularly catchy, and it was a hymn entitled Yesterday, Today, Forever. It was written in 1890. A very catchy hymn. The chorus of that hymn goes something like this. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. That is a catchy little tune. Uh, as a result of liking that hymn, I began to like the verse that was attached to that hymn. That's the verse that we just read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as a result of that hymn, that Bible verse became my favorite Bible verse. Now today, my favorite Bible verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21, but when I was newly saved, Hebrews 13.8 was my favorite scripture passage. And I was always happy to share that passage with others. In fact, I can remember one time in May of 1980, I was in an airport. My my sister had bought me an airline ticket to fly from Pittsburgh up to New England uh, to Massachusetts where she lived, and I had a connecting flight in Newark. I can remember walking into the Pittsburgh airport and, and getting the assignment for the gate as to where my flight would be, and they asked, where are you going? I said, I, I have to change planes in New York. And they said, well, no, your, your ticket here says Newark. I said, yeah, Newark, New York. They said, no, 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 Newark. I thought, well, you're just saying it wrong. I, ever, I didn't know that there was a place called Newark. I mean, who knew? Growing up in Dubois, you don't learn these things. And so I had to fly through Newark. And I fly into Newark, and I'm walking through the airport, and I'm carrying my King James Version of the Bible, and a man stops me, and he says, what is your favorite passage? And I said, my favorite passage is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Loved that verse. Loved that verse my entire life. However, until this week, I have never once ever considered what is the context of Hebrews 13, 8. Uh, as a side note, I would say it would be a helpful exercise for all of us to take our favorite Bible verses and then to go back and re-examine them in context. And as we do, what will happen is the focus of the meaning will 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 be sharpened. Um, and, and I would say that the better that we understand the original intent of the author and we understand the original audience's initial understanding of the text, the more we are going to understand the Bible. Uh, but that's just a side note. For now, with reference specifically to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it has a context, and that context is helpful for us in understanding its intended meaning. So what we're going to look at today is the front end of the context of Hebrews 13, 8, and that is Hebrews 13, 7, and then we're going to look at Hebrews 13, 8 itself. 
So let me please read verse 7 one more time. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, I do not have to tell you how important leadership is. Uh, It was obviously very important in the early church. The Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy and to young Titus, and in both of those correspondences, he tells them the qualifications for elders. You look at other New Testament books and you read what is written by Peter and James and John, all of them address the topic of leadership. Jesus, Jesus spent three years in leadership development. And the author of Hebrews writes on the topic of leadership three times in this one chapter, not only in verse 7, but also in verse 17. He says, obey your leaders. And in verse 24, he says, greet all your leaders. So leadership is an important subject in the Bible. It is also important to note the feature of this leadership, which is accentuated, and that is those who spoke to you the word of God. It wasn't their title, it wasn't their age, it wasn't their experience, it wasn't their charisma, it wasn't their effectiveness that caused them to be remembered, but what it is that is to be accentuated about these leaders is that they spoke to you the word of God. I know that all of you as intelligent People may and probably will at times have a problem with different leadership styles uh, of an elder or a pastor, and and that is understandable. We we are all fallen human beings, and we each have our differences and uh, to each his own. Those are all negotiable. But here's the one thing concerning church leadership that is non-negotiable, and that is the speaking of the Word of God to the people of God. Our authority as elders here is 100% derived on our proclamation from God's word. It's not based upon the fact that we have the title of elder or pastor. A church leader is a church leader only insofar as the church leader gives the people of God the word of God. So that is important. Well, the people to whom the book was written are to remember their leaders. Now, these leaders who spoke the word of God to them might have been missionaries who passed through and planted this church, or this might be referring to their in-house elders and pastors or teachers that would be in their midst. Maybe it was both. We are not told. But again, what is certain and what we need to remember is that leadership and the primary function of leadership within the New Testament church is the proclamation of the Word of God. Different men have different leadership styles. That is okay that we vary in that. Within the church, however, that which defines leadership is the ability to speak the Word of God. Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast here. About 50 guys gathered in the basement of this church. We ate a really good meal, and we had a sermon from Peter Nicotra. If you haven't heard Peter, who's the pastor of the Grace Baptist Church over in Woodhaven in a while, you need to hear this guy because he's really become a great preacher. And as he is preaching, it is excellent. It is it is very well organized. It is articulate. It's challenging. But the primary feature of his preaching, which stood out, was not his structure and not how articulate he is, but it was the Word of God. He used dozens of quotes from the Bible, illustrations from the Bible. It was seamless, it was relentless, it was abundant. It was just Bible, Bible, Bible. Well, that which makes good Christian leadership is one who knows and gives you the Word of God. 
And notice also, not only are these people to remember their church leaders, but look in verse 7, they are also to consider their church leaders, to think about them, to meditate on what they have done, to pay attention to them. Verse 7 says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Now, this phrase seems to imply that the church leaders, which are being referred to in Hebrews 13.7, are dead, or at least they are gone. When we get to verses 17 and 24, those are living leaders, but as, as we look at the leaders in verse 7, these are probably referring to dead leaders. The reason that I say that is because the Greek word for outcome there refers to the sum total of one's life accomplishments. Uh, so these men have finished their race, and they are not like, unlike the Hebrews from chapter 11. Uh, those guys ran their race, and now they are dead, and now these leaders, which they knew personally, have run their races, and they are dead. But they are different in this sense, and that is that nobody in this church had met the people who were described in chapter 11, but they all had met these people. They knew these people. Their ministry was carried out before their very eyes. These were people that they knew personally who spoke the word of God to them. And they were their former pastors. They are dead now, and they are with the Lord. And notice, not only are there sermons and their lessons from the Bible to be remembered, but if you look at the text here, it also said that their lives were to be emulated or considered. Uh, they had lives which were consistent with their messages. Uh, and verse 7 says, their way of life. When I think back to my pastor when I was growing up, Carl Robert Ellenberger, to be very honest with you, I do not remember very much about his actual sermons. However, I learned a great deal from that man by observing his way of life. He was holy. He was compassionate. He was loving. He was a man of prayer, and he had great reverence for God. Now, he has been out of my life for over 40 years, but I am still helped by him today when I consider the outcome of his way of life. Back in 1988, Steve Green recorded a song entitled Find Us Faithful. The chorus of that song is as follows. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. In other words, we're going on. There are people coming after us. Some of them are not even born yet, but they're coming after us. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and may the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Right now, you are sitting in what is known as a church building. Uh, the people are the church. Uh, the building uh, is called a church, but we are actually the church. This church was pastored from 1939 until 1976 by James King. Uh, he was the pastor who oversaw the project to build this church in 1948, this building in 1948. Do you know that from 1939 until 1976, Pastor King taught the Word of God to this congregation four times a week? Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And in those four teaching times, he would go through four books of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. He taught well. 
Uh, he was a faithful servant of God, and we are called to think back and to remember and to consider such men. But notice, not only are we to remember and to consider their way of life, but we are to imitate them. Verse 7 says, and imitate their faith or their faithfulness. You see, there's really no value whatsoever in thinking about those who have lived holy lives unless we are willing to do the same. Uh, There is both intentional imitation and unintentional imitation. Uh, Let me explain the difference. Unintentional imitation is the accent with which you speak. Everybody in the room has an accent. Whether you think you have one or not, you have one. How did you get your accent? You got it unintentionally. You heard other people speak, and you speak the way that you hear other people speak. And as a side note, having nothing to do with the sermon and nothing to do with your sanctification, I personally am saddened by the fact that the New York accent is dying If you know someone who is a little bit older who still speaks with a New York accent, you need to listen to them and appreciate that because a generation from now, it will be gone. And the reason that it will be gone is because children no longer hear adults speaking in a New York accent. What they hear is what they watch on their phones or watch on TV. So they're hearing this generic Midwestern, middle-of-the-road accent. Everybody's starting to talk the same. Accents are dying. The New York accent is dying. That saddens me. But as you will see later in the sermon, that shouldn't sadden me. But nonetheless, it does sadden me. That is unintentional imitation. What Hebrews is talking about is intentional imitation. Study your leaders, study their teaching, study their way of living to the point where you can imitate them and notice what it is that we are supposed to imitate about them. We are supposed to imitate their faith or their faithfulness, their dependability. Now, hang on to that word faith in verse 7 because that's going to help when we get to verse 8 in putting verse 8 into context. But for right now, What you need to understand is we have leaders who have gone before us, who are now dead, and they were good preachers of the word, and they lived holy lives, and they had faith, and we are supposed to remember them, and to consider them, and to imitate them. This is the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is not me telling you what to do, and then you do it. Discipleship is follow me and live as I live, or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6.40, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. If a teacher is doing a good job, he will teach, she will teach their students, and at the end of the day, The students who are taught by the teacher will be like their teacher. And so when verse 7 tells us that there is a value, a valuable source in the present day of looking back to our past teachers and our our past preachers, what he is saying is remember them and consider them and imitate them. Uh, This is the context for one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 13.8. This is the front end of the context. Now we get to the verse itself and see how does verse 7 help verse 8. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Now, as I stated earlier, this verse, uh, which is often quoted in isolation, has a context. You need to be asking yourself, what in the world does the unchangeableness of Jesus have to do with reminiscing about our dead preachers? You understand the question. You have a verse about dead preachers that we are to imitate, and then immediately he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What in the world do these two things have to do with one another? Well, I think the answer is found in the fact that Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8 is a microcosm of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Uh, Let me explain. You remember when we went through Hebrews chapter 11, it is the faith chapter. It tells us what faith is. It tells us what faith does. It tells us why faith is important, why it is essential, because without it, you can't please God. And then the author gives us a dozen or so examples of faithful people from the Old Testament. They are great examples to follow. They are the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. However, the author makes it really clear when he moves into chapter 12 that where we as Christians, as we are running our race, should primarily be looking is unto Jesus. It is helpful to remember and to consider and to imitate Abel and Moses and Abraham. But as helpful as that is, as we run the race with endurance, our primary focus should be Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. It's helpful to look back at those guys But primarily, you should fix your gaze on Jesus Christ, be looking to him. Now, as we move into chapter 13, we are told, remember the pastors who have gone before you. They are going to be of some help to you. However, please note that those pastors have changed. Uh, They have gotten old. They have gotten slow. They have gotten gray. They have gotten forgetful. They have gotten dead. They are no longer with you. But Jesus is still with you. And as much as they have changed in that they have died and they have gone, Jesus has not changed. He is still with you. He is with you today. He was with you yesterday. He is going to be with you forever. You see, I believe that the author intentionally highlights the faith of our older dead preachers, just like he highlights the faith of Enoch and Noah and Rahab and so forth, knowing that everybody is looking somewhere. And there are two places that we can look. It is good to look to the past, to the past heroes, whether they were in the Old Testament and are dead for a long time, or whether they were in your church and they have just recently died, it is of some value to look back at them. But primarily, it is better to be looking unto Jesus because he never changes. I think that in part is the context of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Your leaders are gone now. They were good men, but the best of men are men at best. But you are still here, and you still need help today, and you will need help tomorrow. How are you going to get that help? Well, your primary source of help is going to be to look to the unchangeable one, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is different than your dead pastors. 
He's the preacher and the leader who does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, run the race looking unto the unchanging Son of God. Now let me say a few things about what this does not mean. When it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it doesn't mean that the function or the jobs of Jesus Christ have always been and always will be the same. His functions over time have changed. The beginning, in the very, very beginning, when I talk about the beginning, I talk about the very, very beginning, that is in eternity past, that is before planet Earth was created. In the past, Jesus was not a man. He was with the Father and with the Spirit in heaven in inter-Trinitarian union. He was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity, but he was not in human form. In fact, in eternity past, not only was Jesus not human, but Jesus was not even Jesus. He, he didn't become human until the incarnation, and he doesn't get the name Jesus until he is eight days old. Luke 2.21, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. And, and please notice that his function, like even today, the function of Jesus is not the same as it was 2,000 years ago. He does not continue to make atonement for sin. There was a six-hour period in which Jesus made atonement for sin. That is now over. The gospel is of first importance, and the gospel in 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ also suffered once, once, once and only once, once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. He does not continue to suffer. Uh, It was finished when he said, it is finished. Please note also that the second coming of Christ is different than the first coming of Christ. Hebrews 9.28 tells us that his function in the two comings is different. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, uh, that is the first coming of Christ in which it was his job to deal with sin, it says, will appear a second time. That is the second coming of Christ. And this is different than the first coming of Christ. How? Well, the second coming of Christ is not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him or to rescue those who are eagerly waiting for him. Likewise, when it comes to the things that Jesus does with respect to healing and raising the dead, It cannot be said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in that he does the same things that he did when he was walking on earth. Consider the fact that Jesus would walk around, someone would be dead, they might even be in the tomb for four days, he would call them out and they would come to life. And people would say, well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's still raising the dead, to which I would say, no, he is not, and no, he doesn't. Uh, he performed miracles when he walked on earth, and the magnitude of those biblical healings and the resurrections which he performed were a unique feature of his earthly ministry. They were done by Christ in the days of his flesh while he was on earth so as to authenticate him as God's messenger. But he is no longer doing that. The text does not say, that he does the same things yesterday, today, and forever. It says that he himself, in and of himself, is the same. 
And so his function at creation was different than his function at the cross. And his function at the cross is different than his function even right now as our great high priest. And his function as great high priest is different than his function will be at his second coming. But he himself, in his character, never changes, even though his jobs do. So with this in mind, what I want us to do is to consider three aspects of the unchangeableness of Christ, which would have been a comfort to these Hebrew Christians. Uh, Let's remember that they are thinking about leaving Jesus and going back into Judaism. Uh, This verse, verse 8, would be a particular comfort to them to stick with Jesus, but it would also be a comfort to us, and it would generate joy in our hearts as well. Three concepts about the unchangeableness of Christ. The first one is his immutability, his immutability. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you have a mutation, you have some sort of a change immutability means that there is no change, and the unchangeable nature of Jesus Christ demonstrates that he is God, immutable, immutable, and unchanging. Consider what it says in Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The reason that we in our vast sins, have not yet been vaporized, is because of the unchangeable love of God. He doesn't change, so we stay in the game. If he was fickle, we would be wiped out. Jesus is God, immutable. He changeth, he changest not. We are fickle people, and we are living in a chameleon universe. We change our tastes. I mean, the things that I liked to eat when I was six years old, I suppose I can still get them down, but, but, but I, I, how, like, how often do you see, and if you do this, it's okay. It's okay. But how often do you see someone in their sixties or seventies go into a store and buy a bag of Skittles? Like, it just doesn't happen that often. Not that Skittles are bad, but our tastes change. Our, our, our values change. Our minds change. Our commitments change. I remember I I once had a girlfriend and I told her that I loved her because that's what every love song told me that I was supposed to do. And I told her that I loved her and she said, well, I'm worried that, that you're not always going to love me and that you're going to, you know, that you're going to leave me. And I said, don't don't worry about that. I will love you forever. Because again, I learned that, I heard it in a love song, Marshall Tucker Band, 1977. Yes, I'm going to love you forever. Well, sorry, I changed. (laughs) Yeah. Everything around us is constantly changing. We change with it. You know that there are certain people that you cannot go and talk to them depending upon what their mood is. These people are called moody. Uh, sometimes you can just go up to them and you can have a conversation with them and it will go well, but if they are in a bad mood, you need to know to stay away from them. Why? Because they are always changing, but Jesus is always the same. He never changes. He is immutable. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been forever, thou wilt be. You never have to guess as to what kind of a mood he's going to be in. 
You never have to guess as to how much power he has in reserve. You never have to guess as to what his commitment is to his sheep. Jesus Christ is always the same. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? He doesn't learn anything. He doesn't get better. He doesn't get worse. He is always perfect. He has always known everything. Jesus Christ is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Here's the second thing that would be a comfort to them and also a comfort to us from verse 8, which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is, this verse speaks to his eternality, his eternality. Back in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12, the author quotes Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, the author attributes the characteristics of whoever is being talked about in Psalm 102 to the Son of God. And here's what it says. But you are the same. This is speaking about the Son of God. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Or, as it says of Christ in Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting, that is eternity past, before creation, to everlasting, that is eternity future, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. His eternality is all over the book of Hebrews. And until this week, I, even though I myself had preached through every verse of it, had forgotten how much the eternality of Christ and his work is accentuated in this book. Let's just do a quick Bible study through the book of Hebrews and look at the eternality of the Son of God. Chapter 5, verse 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, you are a priest forever. And in chapter 6, verse 20, it says, having become a high priest forever. And then you get to chapter 7, verse 17, you are a priest forever. And then in chapter 7, verse 21, you are a priest forever. And then you get to chapter 7, verse 28, a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the eternality of Jesus Christ. The work that he does lasts forever. And it is a benefit to us forever. Chapter 5, verse 9, he is the source of eternal salvation. And in chapter 9, verse 12, by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And in chapter 7, verse 24, he continues forever. And then in the very next verse, verse 25, he always lives to make intercession. And because of that, we who have been called by him have an eternal inheritance, chapter 9, verse 15, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Again, I preached through this book. I forgot how many references there are to the eternality of Jesus Christ and his work. So please note that not only is he unchanging, but he is forever unchanging. You know these people, and 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 I hate these people. I, I I I don't really hate them, but I hate them. These people that you will see, and then and then you'll see them a decade later, and they will look the same. 
Like, like, how, how are you doing that? Like, like, is it, but you're dying your hair or Botox or like, why, why have you not aged? Why is everything in the world around us changing, but you look the same and you look at them a decade later and they don't change. And maybe if they're really good at it, you look at them 20 years down the road and it's like, whoa, no wrinkles. It's like, you're, this is really good. But you know what? Even the best of the unchanging people begin eventually to change. Remember how we always used to say, look at Dick Clark, he never changes. It's another rockin' New Year's Eve, and he still has black hair, and he still doesn't have any wrinkles. Well, that was true for a long time. But if you were to look at Dick Clark today, and in order to do that, you would have to dig him up. If you were to look at him today, he looks a lot different than he did in 1955. Some people are better than it than others. Nobody is perfect at it. We have a Christ who is not only unchangeable, but here we go, eternally unchangeable. He is going to be the same a million years from now as he is right now and as he has always been. But not only do I want us to consider his immutability and his eternality, but please consider also his dependability or his reliability. If you look at the past, you see a Christ who loved you. The reason I know that he loved you is because that he came into this world to save you. He left the splendor and the glory of heaven to come and to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Now that's love. Then he goes to the cross, and while he is on the cross, you are on his mind, and he is loving you at the cross. And if you look at him today, and I'm talking about today, I'm talking about the third day of April 2022 at about eight or nine minutes after 12 o'clock, Jesus Christ right now, this very second, loves you, and he is demonstrating that love for you in that he is sitting at the Father's right hand, pleading for you, interceding for you. He is advocating for you right now. Dependable, seated at God's right hand. That will never cease. And tomorrow, tomorrow morning, on the 4th of April, you're going to wake up, and guess what's going to happen? You are still going to be saved. And the reason that you are going to be saved is not because you are so virtuous or because you are so committed, but the reason you're going to be in Christ tomorrow is because he is still hanging on to you and he will not let go. When I feel my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. He is always dependable. First Thessalonians 5.24, he who called you is faithful he will surely do it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. What is his name? His name is faithful and true. 1 John 1, 9. How in the world do I know if I confess my sins, if he is going to forgive me? It is because of the unchanging faithfulness and dependability of Jesus Christ, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, there's our word, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is our immutable, eternal, faithful friend. Which brings us to our points of application, and I have six of them today. The first two have to do with verse 7, 
The last four have to do with verse 8. Application point number one, live in such a way that you will be remembered, considered, and imitated. Live in such a way that you will be remembered, considered, and imitated. We are all going to be imitated, especially those who are parents. The reason this is true is because the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, Harry Chapin, we are all going to be imitated. But the question is, is how we are living something which we wish to have replicated? Live in such a way that people will see your faith in action and then be inspired to follow what you did. Or ask yourself the question, if every church member at North Shore Baptist Church was like me, what kind of a church would we have? You see, those of you who are in leadership, and you say, well, I'm not in leadership. Let me define who is in leadership. If you are a parent, you are in leadership. If you are an older sibling, in most cases, you are in leadership. If you are an officer of the church, you are in leadership. If you are a teacher or a boss, you are in leadership. Most people are in some form of leadership. If you are in leadership, please consider that you are being watched and you are being followed. Hebrews 13.7 commands people to imitate those who have spoken the word of God to them. Let's take Timothy, for example. What kind of a guy is Timothy? Paul says, I don't have anybody who is like-minded like Timothy. Everybody is concerned about their own things except for Timothy and not the things of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. How does Timothy get to be Timothy? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul says to young Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see, your life is really an influential sermon. Live it in such a way that people can look at you and honor God by watching you and doing what you do. Number two, also with reference to verse seven, intentionally look for good examples to follow Once you have found those examples, then follow them. One of the ways that you can do this is to read biographies of Christians who have passed and are now with the Lord, particularly biographies of missionaries. If you have not yet, you should read about Jim Elliott, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, You should read about people who have served the Lord faithfully and gone on. Be friends and friendly with those who are on fire for the Lord because you're going to become like the people that you spend time with. Now, here's what I think concerning your relationships. I think you should be friendly to everyone in that you should greet everyone with a smile and you should be genuinely glad to see everyone. But in terms of how you are going to invest your time Spend time with people who will point you to Christ by their words and their actions. Then be deliberate in your thinking and asking yourself, what is it about this person that I see which is an expression of faith and then follow them? Let me just say to you parents, here's one thing that you can do which would be really helpful in raising your kids to be godly. When you as parents observe faithfulness or godliness in another human being, Stop your kids, 
pull them aside and point out to them that what they're seeing is good and godly and is to be imitated. See, part of the means, not the only means, but part of the means that God uses to sanctify us is by giving us good examples that we are to follow. Let's move on to verse 8 with application point number 3. And this is be dependable. Be somebody that can be counted upon. To be godly is to be like God. Jesus is God. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is dependable, and you can always count on him. And if we are to walk as he is to walk, as we are told to do in 1 John, then we too need to strive to be like he is. And what was he like? Well, he is faithful. Now, granted, we are never going to achieve or even come close to immutability, but here's what we can do. We can be like Jesus in that we can be people who are counted upon. You know that there are certain people that you would never ask them to do something for you, and the reason why you would never do that is because they have let you down so many times, and you know that if you ask them to do something, they're not going to actually do it. They might enthusiastically agree to do it, but when it actually comes time to move the furniture, mysteriously, they are going to be absent, and with what may appear to be a good excuse, but nevertheless, they just never follow through with what they say that they're going to do. Their plans always seem to change. In Psalm 15, verse 1, the question is asked, O Lord, who shall dwell in your holy hill? In other words, Lord, who is it that actually is going to get close to you? And it's answered in verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Do you know what that phrase means? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. The person that gets close to the Lord is somebody who makes a promise Then after making that promise, they say, ouch, wow, that's going to be more expensive than I thought it was going to be, but even though it's going to hurt me, my word is my word, and I am not going to change. I will keep my promise, and then they do keep their promise. We are Christians. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. What do we do as Christians? We strive to live like Jesus Christ. Now, now let me be clear. We do not please God or get into a right relationship with God by our dependability. Uh, I'm speaking now to those who are already saved. If you're not saved, you need to be born again. You must be born again. If you don't even know what that means, please come and speak to me immediately after the service, and I will take as much time as you need to understand how one can be saved. I I would be happy to talk to you about this. It is a very important thing. I am speaking now, though, to those who have been born again. Uh, Being saved is faith alone in Christ alone, plus nothing. If you have been saved, you are in Christ, and one of the marks of one who is in Christ is that they will try to be like Christ, and one of the ways that you can be like Christ by grace is to be dependable. Application point number four, and this is my favorite. Use the disappointments of life, and they are many. Use the changes that happen in life, and there are many, to remind you of the immutability of Christ. As I said earlier in the sermon, uh, things change and people change We ourselves change. The world is changing really fast. And I have discovered that the older one gets, 
the more these changes are not welcomed. They are usually perceived as things which are changing, but not for the better. We all want to stay young. This week, I got a text from Emily Allen. Uh, She was listening to one of my sermons on Sermon Audio. She sent me a screenshot of my picture, which is used to advertise what we use on Sermon Audio. I, I have to be honest, I don't know if I was 12 or 13 when this picture was taken. But you see it, and you see what is in front of you. A change has taken place. And as we see changes, we who are getting older don't like them. People who said that they would love us, and be committed to us, and never leave us, stopped loving us, and they left us. Last week, I preached in western Pennsylvania, and on my way home, I drove past my boyhood home in Dubois, Pennsylvania. As I drove past the house, I noticed that it had changed. There I am, with my ever-changing bald spot in the back, looking at the house that I grew up in. It was never a mansion, but but I can tell you that, that the gutter was always like catching the rain coming off the roof. Now it is, it's just different. We want to go into our past and we want to look at our past and we want to remember our past the way it was and we don't want it to change. We want things to be the way that they have always been. Usually when things change because of entropy and because of the fall of man, when things change, they change for the worst. Take baseball, for example. This week is opening day. On the night before opening day, every person in our family uh, is required to and will voluntarily watch the movie Field of Dreams. It is a family tradition. In that movie, at the end, James Earl Jones gives a soliloquy on the immutability of baseball. He gives a speech, which no matter how many times you hear it, you will get chill bumps. In this speech about baseball, he says, the one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball, baseball has marked the time. This field, this game is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and could be again. Oh, People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Baseball, isn't it wonderful that even though everything in the world around us, baseball stays the same? Ah, they're ruining baseball. They have this thing called the designated hitter now. I don't know who thought this up, but now they're introducing this into the National League. They're destroying a perfect game. And everything in life, from our perspective, is being destroyed. And I'm not just an old man complaining. We make our way through life looking for things to stay the same, and they keep changing for the worse. Things we count on, we can't count on. 
we become weaker, frailer, and we fail. And here's my advice in light of this. Instead of bemoaning the fact that the present is unstoppable, instead of longing for the good old days, instead of being that guy that Bruce Springsteen sang about in Glory Days, 1984, here's what we should be doing with our thoughts and our emotions. We should take all of these painful changes and we should use them to the advantage of our sanctification by saying, even though everything around me is changing, Jesus does not change. And this world is a reminder that I am not Jesus. And this world is a reminder that only Jesus is Jesus, and we are just passing through. I mean, this world means so much to us, and the only reason this world means so much to us is because this is all we know. But as we read this book, this book tells us, you're not here that long. Three score and 10, that's 70, or if you're really strong, you're going to make it to 80. You live past 80, you're playing with house money. But for the most part, we are not here that long. Your life is a vapor. And man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And in this world, you have tribulation. This is not your life. Christ is your life. Eternity is your life. We are just at a bus stop waiting for the bus to pick us up and to take us to heaven. This is not the end. In fact, this is just a it's it's an infinitesimal just speck on the dot of who we are, and that is what we will be for eternity. And so, as we see things falling apart and not being the way that we want them to be, we should be singing, this world is not my home. And even though everything is changing, Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will love me perfectly, and he will take me to heaven. And when I get to that land, it is a land where we will never grow old. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And in this world, we are going to be dealt one disappointment after another. Let those disappointments serve your soul well by pointing you to the perfections of Jesus Christ, which always stay the same. Let us use the disappointments of this life to remind us of his unalterable consistency. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. Say not, or do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. No, these are the good old days. Carly Simon, these are the good old days because this is where he has put us now. Use it to look to Christ. Application point number five, very briefly, don't worry about the future. The reason I say that is because the same Christ who has ruled the universe up until this very moment, he spoke it into existence and he's taken care of it up to this point. He's going to continue to rule it and reign it with the same power and authority and wisdom and love and justice that he always has. And so relax, don't worry about the future. And point number six, once again, this is for those who are saved, rest in his love. The gospel is of first importance. You yourself know that your love for others goes up and down, and sometimes it even disappears. 
But with Christ, his love for you has always been perfect from eternity past, and 10 million years from now, it will be the same. And so when you meditate upon his immutability in loving you, it should cause you to rest. Father in heaven, ah, Lord, we're stubborn and we don't like change. But Lord, you are doing what is right. And now we rest in that. And we rest in the fact that your son is unchangeable. Lord, we do not worry about the future. Cause us, Lord, as things fall apart, and they will, to be reminded, to be reminded of the perfect, unchangeable Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.